The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made. And by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. Today's episode focuses on a topic that's critical to the execution of your company's business strategy, performance management. We're going to talk about a new trend in performance management that resolves some of the limitations of traditional performance rating systems. Joining us to share her expertise on this topic virtually from New York City is Dr. Anika Jakovic. Anika's career as a business psychologist focuses on leadership development and organizational effectiveness. Her career is anchored in creating meaningful work experiences for people. Anika, we're so fortunate to have you with us today. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your being here to talk about an issue that can be really sensitive to both employees and managers. And I know I know you have a lot of experience around this, especially most recently with Oppenheimer Funds. And it would be wonderful just to hear about the pilot program that you were a big part of at Oppenheimer and how it really reflects the strategy that you're referring to of dialogue over ratings for performance management. Absolutely. I'm honored to share the story. And if you think about any business strategy and any effort that a company makes to conquer their competitive landscape and create some value for their clients, it requires people. Strategies don't execute themselves. People do. And to do that, people need alignment and accountability. And ideally, that's what performance management is there to do. However, it's a massive frustration. For most companies, employee engagement surveys will show very much uh, that both employees and managers are dissatisfied with the performance management system because a lot of bureaucracy to document things at year-end for both managers and employees to a lot of ambiguity around the results and how these contributions are valued. And then three, from an enterprise perspective for senior leaders, there is a lack of connection to how does the organization continue to grow and create even better results. Mm -hmm. And so hence this new perspective on how to improve performance management so that it's both better for the employee experience, and better for the business and the accomplishment of the 
results that mm-hmm. are necessary to execute the strategy. And, you know, in, in corporate America, and you yourself have a background in financial services, how widespread would you say is the rating system? I would say that most companies have some version of it. In fact, many companies, in addition to the performance ratings, also have a force distribution curve, which is an effort to differentiate. And differentiation is very much a needed human resources process. Differentiating contributions and therefore the pay and uh, compensation related to it, as well as decisions such as performance, uh, and uh, promotions and informing who the most talented people are. That, that's what human resources are there to do. However, all that can be done without the forced distribution curve and maybe even without the ratings. So this whole conversation is about how do we make performance management more meaningful more about the dialogue, more relevant and flexible, both for the business and the employees. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with whether you use ratings or not. Mm-hmm. And you've experienced both systems. You've experienced the rating system and then a transition at Oppenheimer into more of a dialogue framework. Oh, absolutely. But once upon a time, Hemda, let me share a story. I was in charge of selling not only performance ratings, a forced ranking system inside a company that for all the good intentions we talked about, an effort to differentiate and to provide meritocracy in terms of how rewards and recognition are given, this forced ranking system and the performance ratings were used to accomplish that. And what I saw as I was talking to employees and managers in trying to implement this is just how much frustration there was, how much confusion there was, and how at year end, employees were living in fear of what their grade was going to be. It's a very school mentality or what their label was going to be, am I a two or a three? And then the managers were living in fear of how to keep their best people? How do they retain and motivate people when they're only given these labels to work with? Mm -hmm. And so this experience of having done that is what fuels my passion for promoting more dialogue-based approaches to talking about contributions and, more importantly, talking about people's development. That's what motivates people is how to develop. Mm-hmm. And how? And I'd love to hear more about the dialogue system and what you experienced around it. I'm just curious also about the traditional ratings and uh, the force rankings, how that actually affects performance based on your experience. In what I've seen, it can be demotivating because, one, people are very much aware that there is this label coming their way at year end. And while they're willing to fight for getting the whatever grade they want, a two or a three, in fact, what happens is that there is a sense of helplessness. For example, if you're a new hire, you're most likely not going to get one of the higher grades because there's only so many of those labels a manager has. So imagine being new to an organization when it's critical to be integrated and to onboard into towards success and getting a rating that's essentially a C or a 3. 
because that's just what new hires get, or even worse, something lower than that. So those effects can then linger on quite a bit. And the same goes for managers, managers who get together with their peers to decide on how these labels are given out, oftentimes have to fight for their people and have to go through an arduous process that has nothing to do with recognizing and developing their people, but rather how to divvy up these scarce labels. Mm -hmm. And that's what gets in the way of the ultimate purpose, which is to retain and develop your best people and to propel the business towards success and towards accomplishing even better goals. Right. It sounds like it doesn't really emphasize the individual contributions that everyone brings. And starting off, you could be hitting the ground running and doing a great job. And it's important to really be able to reflect that also in the dialogues that you're having and other concrete ways that you're being represented in the organization. Exactly. And, and to add to all that, it actually gives managers uh, easy escape to say, I couldn't do anything about it. I had to give you a three because HR made me do it or that's just the way it is. And so instead of having a really open dialogue about contribution and development, managers divvy out these labels and oftentimes don't even take the responsibility for what that rating really is there to do, which is create accountability and create motivation to grow and get better. Mm-hmm. Right. So it can actually impede a manager's role in developing team members. Absolutely. Once you take the ratings away, the accountability is very much on the manager to know their people a lot better. And, and we'll talk more about that as we get into how to implement this more dialogue-focused approach. Mm -hmm. And I'd love for you to describe also what the dialogue-focused approach looks like and maybe also using your particular experience as an example of that. Great. So the approach in a lot of ways is similar and consistent with what you would think of as traditional performance management. There is at the beginning of the year, as in now, a goal-setting process that ensures that whatever that business strategy is and whatever the departmental goals are that senior leaders have committed to gets translated into individual goals for the employees. So a manager and an employee would have the conversation about those individual goals and what's necessary and expected for an employee to contribute throughout the year. The nuance being that once you focus more on the dialogue as opposed to this old bureaucratic system that requires the documentation, you can scale down the number of goals. In a lot of these traditional systems, employees feel that they have to basically document their whole job description during goal setting so that there is a trail for everything that they're going to do in a way at year end to have some line of sight towards their contribution. Once you focus more on the dialogue, you can really focus on the goals that are challenging and that stretch this person towards growth versus this documentation of everything that's in a job description. And so let's say that that's the conversation during the first quarter. During the second quarter, the conversation then becomes about progress check-in. Have things shifted, and do we need to realign some of the goals? 
what have been some points of success or some points of setback that we can learn from. And so the second quarter conversation becomes a progress check-in and a two-way dialogue about how to stay on track. Mm-hmm. The third quarter can be around development. It doesn't have to be development. Conversation can happen throughout the year. However, it's important to designate a point in time where the dialogue really focuses on the knowledge, skills, and abilities that the employee needs both to continue growing in their current role as well as to consider their aspirations for the future, especially when you're dealing with ambitious people who want more out of their careers. The manager is the ambassador for that cause. The manager is the custodian of the career dialogue, and it's important to carve out a time for that to happen. Otherwise, it gets lost in the shuffle of the day-to-day activity. And then finally, at year-end, is another progress check-in and a review of contributions. What's important is to separate that dialogue from talking about compensation. Because, Hemda, if you and I have this dialogue and you're my manager, once you tell me that I'm rated a two and give me a number for my bonus or my uh, pay increase, we're done. And the mm-hmm. dialogue then becomes about what that means for me, or I start to compare in my mind what I expected and what I suspect someone else might have gotten. It's very important to end the year with a conversation about contributions and a forward look, and then have the compensation conversation separately. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. You're keeping it distinct, really, from some of the pitfalls that you're finding with the rating system. Absolutely. And also, one, it reduces the overall threat of the conversation, and two, it opens up more room for the dialogue to be about impact and to be around continued learning and insights. And then the compensation really is an outcome that's about both the contribution of the person and the success of the business. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a really feel-good experience, and you're really offering more of an out-of-the-box framework uh, for having this discussion about salary, about promotion, in the sense that you were describing when you were talking about goal-setting, that it's not really tied just into a person's job description. And realistically, in our times, there's so much change that occurs. There's so many needs that come up that are unanticipated. So it seems like this approach really offers flexibility for a person to engage a variety of their talents and also develop themselves to meet whatever emerging needs exist. That's exactly it. In today's fast-paced and uh, very much evolving world, the goals you set at the beginning of the year most likely will need to shift throughout the year. And so this sets up both the employee and the manager as well as the overall enterprise for a better ability to be flexible and agile and succeed in that complexity and change. Mm -hmm. So as we're nearing the end of this first part of the show, I wanted to just summarize the approach that you were referring to. You were talking about having a start-of-year conversation really to take a look at some of the goals that are not necessarily tied into the job description, but maybe higher level that will allow an employee to stretch and really add a lot of value to the business. 
Did I get that right? You nailed it. And then we go to quarter one, and we're talking about progress uh, around those goals in quarter one? Absolutely, and into the second quarter. In fact, the point is that this doesn't have to be a quarterly conversation. Hopefully, a manager and their employee are talking a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. In terms of a cadence and a structure, yes, this kind of quarterly flow allows for a more dynamic conversation. Mm-hmm. So we're discussing really progress and also development goals during these quarterly conversations. And then the year end, we're really taking a look at contribution. And distinct from that, we follow up with a conversation that relates more to promotion and salary. That's exactly it. Wonderful. We're going to take two for a quick commercial. When we come back, Anika will talk about what's required to effectively implement this type of performance management approach in your organization. Stay tuned to hear more. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesar stone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you looking to get noticed in today's business world? Listen for Chat with Chickles, what they couldn't teach you in business school. This is the show that will help you survive and thrive in business today. It's what you can do differently that will help you stand apart from everybody else in the field. Lisa Chickles and her guests can show you just how to gain that unique edge. Chat with Chickles can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. My guest this week was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Clinton, Mr. Henry Cisneros, who will be here to talk about 13 trends which make investing in real estate in urban centers a sure bet. Don't miss Henry Cisneros this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. 
Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi with organizational effectiveness expert, Dr. Anika Jakovic. Anika talked about a new trend in performance management whereby the traditional performance rating system is replaced by consistent dialogue that improves employee engagement and also execution on business strategies. Anika, I'm curious about what it takes for this type of approach to be successful in an organization. It takes a lot, and I'm happy to talk (laughs) about some of these levers for change. Before we get into that, let me emphasize that Evolving performance management is a journey, and I'm by no means saying that every company needs to get rid of ratings. In fact, what's more important is how to build the support and the process to focus on the dialogue and the quality of the conversation that managers and employees have, and that's possible even while keeping the rating system or simplifying it, and then finding ways towards even more simplification and more relevance and more flexibility. So the point is that it is a journey and one that eventually may lead towards moving away from ratings altogether. The key point is to focus on the quality of the conversation. What you're saying makes sense that... It, it's how it can be helpful to have a transitional approach because in implementing this type of new strategy, there's some kinks you have to work out and you really have to get everyone on board. Absolutely. And speaking of working out the kinks and getting people on board, doing a pilot is critical. So finding parts of the organization where Doing this dialogue-based approach to performance management is both likely to produce meaningful feedback about the program as well as produce some senior-level executives who are willing to be champions for the approach is a way to then ensure a starting place of success for moving more broadly into the enterprise. And that pilot or series of pilots will also then provide some evidence of success and feedback from both employees and managers that can be used to enroll the rest of the organization that may be more reserved about the approach. In fact, one way to do it, other than publishing the positive feedback about, let's say, 90% of people have more meaningful conversations, is to actually invite live dialogue where panels of managers talk about how this new approach unfolded for them in terms of creating the alignment and the accountability that are necessary for execution. So that's point number one, pilot Mm -hmm. for early success evidence and for buy-in. Point number two in terms of buy-in is to ensure that there is a consistent messaging from the senior leaders in the organization. This cannot be an HR project. In fact, if it is perceived to be an HR push, there's going to be even more resistance. And so ensuring that the senior leaders in the organization who are willing to support the effort are vocal about both their own experience in how impact uh, translates through this new dialogue-based approach into better results, and then two, being willing on a regular basis to send out messaging, whether that's via email to their whole department or whether it's creating short videos and publishing those on the internal company site or other channels such as speaking at their off-sites and other management 
meetings. These are the critical points to spread the buy-in throughout the organization and to show visibility for that senior-level support. And then the third Mm -hmm. point around creating buy-in and ensuring that consistency and coherence is that all of HR has to be in it together. So while there can be a group within HR that's responsible for implementing the change effort, the HR business partners are critical to ensuring that people understand what this is about and that they can diagnose issues when they're happening and address them or People in HR who work with analytics and technology are equally critical for ensuring that the data is meaningful and that the technology systems support this kind of an approach. Mm-hmm. So if you can say a little bit more about HR's role so that we can actually vis- visualize what are the different types of functions that HR might perform. You talked about really being in touch with what some of the issues are having their hands on the pulse of what's what's coming out that needs to be addressed or smoothed out and also looking at the technology systems. Are there any other areas that you think are important for HR in terms of the entire team really being in it together? Oh, absolutely. And let me start with the team that's actually implementing the change, whether that team sits in organizational effectiveness or learning and development or talent management. There needs to be a team that is accountable for implementing a new approach and providing, one, all the scripting and messaging that those senior leaders and others will follow to show their support, Two, providing training and providing training that's both relevant and very precise in terms of how to have a quality conversation. Going back to the flow that we discussed, if we're doing goal setting, there needs to be a training around how to set meaningful goals. Or if we're further in the year and having a progress check-in, there needs to be training around how to have a difficult conversation. And the same goes for later in the year around career development or differentiating employees' contributions and making meaningful reward decisions. So providing that training in a meaningful uh, and timely way is very much a part of this kind of effort. It's a high-touch approach. And then three, providing tools, a learning and development or talent management function can provide reference tools, ideally single page, that show the do's and the don'ts of how to have a difficult conversation or show a series of great questions to ask to have a career conversation. And so these become the ways in which the change management can Uh, successfully unfold. And then going Mm -hmm. back to the other parts of HR, the HR business partners or generalists are those who are on the ground in the business hearing about the different concerns or questions that people have. And so preparing those HR business partners with previews of the training and the tools and the messaging is critical so that they can be ready to address the issues as they come up 
as well as bring back the feedback, because the HR community, as well as the people managers in the organization, will have ongoing feedback about how is the implementation working out, and capturing that is important to ensuring that the performance management approach remains relevant and flexible to the business needs. Mm-hmm. And then finally, HR experts who deal with data or technology are equally important to ensuring that both there is meaningful ways to capture the performance management information and that the technology systems are equipped to capture the data and to feed into any other systems and decision-making that's necessary as a result of performance management. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a very complex piece that's related to human resources with the performance management data capture, capturing feedback during the implementation process, also creating learning and development tools and communications-related training for managers. Yes. And, and keeping you, it going. <laughs> right. And then we had the other two components that you referred to, which is the consistent communication from senior leadership and having really a change, man- communi- change management communications team that offers a framework for synergistic and consistent communication from, from different members, really, of the implementation team. Absolutely. And employees are pretty good about detecting passing fads. In fact, that's one of the attitudes that any change effort will encounter. The employees who say, oh, this too shall pass. Let me sit this one out and see what happens. And so Mm -hmm. the consistent and coherent communication ensures that the people who are uh, they're watching the effort are really getting the message that this is for real. Mm-hmm. Right, that there's a true and deep commitment that's really reflected in the infrastructure of the organization. Yes, because if there isn't, and if the senior leaders are not showing that commitment, it's not going to happen. When another point that you mentioned that seems really important is talking about the positives, noting, tracking, the positive outcomes that are occurring and spreading word of that throughout the organization, having conversations about that amongst managers. Yes, that testimonial of success accomplishes a number of things. One, it continues to show the support and add to that coherence and consistency of the change message. Two, it's educational for people because other managers who hear the dialogue can then understand some other ways in which they can have their own performance management conversations. And then three, it can surface further feedback for the HR teams responsible for driving the effort and implementing this new approach. Mm -hmm. Anika, given all of these complexities that are involved, when you take a look at the transition uh, time frame for this type of initiative, let's say if a company is going from a rating system and maybe they might still keep a rating system in some form and still integrate this dialogue framework, what do you see as the time frame that might be required for this type of transition to occur where it really sticks? So 
That depends on a number of factors ranging from the size and the complexity of the company to whether there are matrix structures. And there is no one size fits all. As with any change effort, it's about understanding the readiness and then finding a way to iterate throughout this change journey. I would say that it's at least a two-year effort, if not more than that, depending on all of those factors such as the complexity and uh, the size of the organization. Mm-hmm. And you, talk, you talked about this transition from ratings to dialogue. And I'm just curious that Oppenheimer, basically you transitioned to really just, just this dialogue framework that you're referring to and there, there's no longer a rating system? Correct. However, the dialogue is still documented. And so that's a critical component for the alignment and the accountability. So while there is no rating system and no labeling of people, which received very positive feedback. The quarterly dialogue about goal setting or progress or career conversations is documented in a bulleted format, so documenting the highlights of the conversation as a way to have a point to refer back to as the year unfolds and have a way to ensure that there is an agreement between the employee and their manager. In fact, this approach of the bullets and the highlights is what the employee initiates. And giving that autonomy to the employees to be the first ones to create their input and their perspective around their contributions and insights is what... uh, elevates the employee experience. Mm-hmm. Right. They feel that they really have ownership and that they actually can play a very active role and have a strong impact on their own career, their own future, and their life at the firm. Absolutely. And yet the manager is equally accountable to know their employee, to understand what their contributions are, and at year-end to be able to own some of the compensation decisions. You see, if you think back to the rating system, in a lot of ways, it's an excuse for a manager to not really own the reward decisions that are being made, whereas once you take away the ratings or the force distribution curve, the manager has to, one, better know and understand their employees and their contributions, and two, own the differentiation of the rewards and compensation decisions that happen at year end. Mm-hmm. So I could see how this really enhances, as you were saying, investment as well as engagement. So you have the motivation factor and the interest and enthusiasm. And you also have really more of a collaborative experience uh, between the managers and the employee and also really across the organization. That's definitely the goal. And that's what all the training and the tools and the communication are meant to facilitate because managers will have different levels of capability and comfort with having some of the conversations and the decision-making necessary to make that happen. Mm. 
We're going to go to a brief commercial. When we return, Anika will talk about the role of senior managers in ensuring a culture of constructive dialogue. We'll be right back. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesar stone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more, not just in it and profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. The Leadership Hour explores what it takes to become a leader who inspires. Inspirational leaders drive higher creativity, lower turnover, and better quality work. Yet few understand their impact on others. We are blind to what we do and don't do well. Training can help, but only if we know our blind spots. To hear strategies for becoming an inspirational leader, join Christine Cowan-Gascoigne on the Leadership Hour, where leadership and inspiration intersect. Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, speaking with organizational effectiveness expert, Dr. Anika Gakovich. We talked about the type of training tools and other support that are required for employees and managers to have the kind of dialogue that enables them to grow with the organization. Anika started to talk also about the role of senior managers in ensuring consistent communication that really reinforces a change effort around dialogue. And Anika, I would love it if you would expand a little bit more on the role of senior managers. Absolutely. The senior leaders in the organization are critical to being visible sponsors of the effort as well as to hold 
their own or, or departments or functions that they're responsible for accountable to implement this new approach. And the way to do that is, one, to send out regular messaging about it's time to set goals, here are the goals for our department, here is where you can find resources and support from HR as you go about having your goal-setting uh, conversations, and here is the date by which all this needs to be done. And so that messaging template will come from HR. However, it has to be sent out by a senior leader for employees to take it seriously. Otherwise, it becomes an HR push and an uphill battle that probably doesn't produce meaningful results. Point number two, senior leaders can also become visible supporters by filming short videos where they talk about the benefits that they've seen from a dialogue-based approach to performance management, or in other ways, weave in this kind of messaging around support, uh, for example, by speaking at their town hall or at an off-site meeting where they may be discussing strategy planning, however, also reminding the people who are there that the performance management process is underway and a integral part of the alignment and the accountability necessary for strategy execution. And then the third component, which goes back to the accountability for implementing change, is to ask people to go to the training and to ask people to complete the performance management steps if they haven't. And again, this is enabled by HR. So for example, the team within HR implementing this new approach to performance management can provide a dashboard to a senior leader that shows here is the progress in training, here is the progress in how many of your people have set goals or completed a review and a progress check-in conversation, and then it puts the onus back on the senior leader to follow up with the help of their HR business partners to ensure that those people who haven't gone to training or who haven't set their goals do so. And that's how you circle back to ensure that there is a cadence to this change effort. Mm -hmm. So there's a strong behind-the-scenes directional effort among senior leaders in collaboration with HR teams and others who are part of implementation. And then there's also a visible presence whereby the senior leader would be reinforcing really all of the steps that the implementation teams and the managers in their particular areas are looking to make sure that everyone are, is on board with. Exactly, that everybody's following this cadence of change because otherwise as people start to fall out and ignore the process, if that's not called out and addressed, then the overall progress starts to stall, and there isn't the kind of coherence that's necessary towards building this culture of a more constructive conversation. When you think about what a culture is, a culture is a set of uh, sometimes explicit and oftentimes unwritten and unsaid rules about how we do things around here. And if some people are allowed to step out of uh, dialogue-based approach to performance management and to ignore it, then that starts to build 
these pockets of resistance that will get in the way of the overall effort of building that talent mindset for the enterprise. Mm-hmm. When you take a look at transitioning from a rating system to more of a dialogue framework and what the impact is on open communication, I'm just curious, are, do you find that employees do communicate much more openly about some of the challenges that they're facing or even some of the frustrations or reservations they have about this transition to a different type of performance management approach? Yes, I've seen evidence of that. In fact, most companies will do some version of an employee engagement survey and the questions on these surveys that have to do with open dialogue tend to improve with this new type of approach to performance management. What also tends to improve is that employees report having a clearer sense of direction. They also tend to report more positive feedback about the support that they get from their manager and a better perception of fairness around how rewards and recognition um, are happening at the organization. So overall, this approach does improve the employee experience. From a manager standpoint, one of the concerns has to do with differentiation of those reward and compensation decisions. And if you remember, we talked about how managers have to know their people better once you take away the ratings and have to be better prepared to talk about impact. And Mm so What the evidence shows is that the differentiation as a result of that actually gets better and that removing the performance ratings and the force distribution curve improves the managerial decision-making around how to distribute the reward and recognition. And then the third piece, which is an organizational concern is how to identify people who have potential to do more and Mm -hmm. uh, are considered the talent for the future. And so structuring that dialogue around impact and evidence of contributions is what's necessary to supplement what people used to rely on before when they could simply label people as a two or a three. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like essentially you're reflecting in the performance management approach, best leadership practices. We talk about fostering the shared decision-making and really encouraging employees to take initiative and to be invested in in the outcomes of their work life and their realities at work. You know, so it's interesting, right, when you see the structures within organizations, if, you know, with all of this research that we have about organizational effectiveness and leadership effectiveness, that they, they, it seems like this is really putting the research results in practice. Yes, absolutely. And giving the autonomy both to the employees and the managers around the dialogue that matters. Mm hmm. I'm curious also if we're taking a look at transitioning in this case that you described with Oppenheimer to only a dialogue approach, if there's anything that's lost when you transition completely away from the rating system. The one 
issue that I've seen happen is when a new executive comes on board and asks to see a snapshot of their organization. This kind of an approach that's more dialogue-based makes it harder to provide that snapshot. So what would have been some type of a table of ratings in the past, especially when you're dealing with a larger organization that has hundreds of employees, the challenge becomes how to help onboard a new executive and to give them a line of sight into their organization and to understand their talent. And that's where the HR business partners are critical to working with uh, the executive and the talent team to ensure that there's a way to reflect what the talent profiles are and uh, to understand uh, what the organization looks like from a contribution standpoint. The other part is to deal with the non-performers. And whereas before, getting a low rating was a tag for addressing a performance issue, once you move away from using ratings and labels and a force distribution curve, it becomes necessary to be very precise with tagging the people who have performance issues that need to be addressed so that the dialogue approach doesn't take away from the organization's need to deal with the underperformers. Mm-hmm. And in your experience around the dialogue approach, were there situations in which employees needed to go on performance improvement plans? Yes, and you can still use a performance improvement plan. So having a dialogue-based approach and documenting the highlights of that dialogue on a quarterly basis does not take away from your ability to flag an employee who is having performance issues and separately put them on a performance improvement plan of some kind. Mm-hmm. And I would guess, actually, that there there would be more targeted work around performance improvement with this type of dialogue approach so that yes. you're not in a situation, like you said, where, where you have the ratings in place where you can target someone who is really not performing as they need to be. Over here, you have a more proactive framework where hopefully the conversations on a quarterly basis and at start and end of year have been reflecting the performance issues and there's been work around that. Yes, indeed. So, Ultimately, if you're having a quarterly conversation, there is less of a surprise, whether it's in terms of dealing with the underperformers or dealing with someone's career aspirations and other insights that may be uh, unfolding throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about um, some kind of hybrid system for performance management that includes both the ratings and a dialogue approach? might as well be necessary for some organizations, especially if it's a culture that values precision. I would think of cultures that employ engineers or programmers. That's where you'll find uh, need for that kind of preciseness. Yet if you look at the data of companies that have been making the switch, technology mm-hmm. is one of the sectors that's actually leading this transformation to a dialogue-based approach. So, mm-hmm. yes, if a intermediate step is to improve the focus of dialogue while keeping the ratings, 
that may in fact be necessary to ensure that the readiness for change and the organization being willing to embrace the new approach is what happens. Ultimately, you want a sustainable journey and one that makes sense for the company. Obviously, there's a lot of planning involved in this process. What advice might you give to organizations that are currently using a rating system and are interested in incorporating more more dialogue? So, one, to be very clear about the objectives. Why is this effort wanted? Is it to improve the employee experience? Is it to improve business outcomes? What is ultimately the purpose of it? And to be able to link everything back to those goals of the change effort. Two, to make sure that the change plan is coherent. So let's say that an organization is going through some other change effort, which most likely it is. Well, how does this performance dialogue fit in with the rest of that? And the sequence of making sure that if you are implementing new technology, maybe the performance dialogue approach needs to wait for that to happen first. And similarly, if there are some large-scale leadership changes or changes to business direction, how does this fit in with that so that the change does not become overwhelming for the employees who don't know what to think of first? And then finally, in terms of ensuring the success for the change, to make sure that the HR teams who are going to be involved are, in fact, ready and bought in and have the capabilities necessary to implement. In terms of some of the fall-throughs that you've seen, you know, what are some of the challenges around just really getting things going? So the biggest challenge is the buy-in to ensure that there are senior-level supporters and senior leaders who are willing to speak on behalf of the dialogue-based approach to performance management and being very explicit about what their roles and responsibilities are in the process. And that's where having your head of HR as your advocate really is the starting point. Two, going back to that point around the sequence of change, being very clear on what's happening and when and giving the appropriate stakeholders the preview of those change phases to come so that people are not surprised. And then three, ensuring that the people who need to support the change effort, whether that's your HR business partners or the data and technology teams or the learning and development team, are ready and willing to go. Anita, we're already at the wrap-up point. Such valuable information that it sounds like a life-changing way, really, that organizations can better engage employees and achieve their strategic objectives. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So next up in your career, Anika, you'll be starting with J.P. Morgan Chase to work on leadership and management development. And we'll look forward to having you return to the show to talk about the learning that you experienced there. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm honored. If you have any unanswered questions related to this episode, please email them to me at hosthemda at gmail.com. We'll post responses via our social media sites, so please follow me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and like us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. 
thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.